Count my cards, my money's short. Welcome back to Two and a Half Athletes, everyone. Uh, I am going solo today, but I am joined by two of my favorite former players, Trevor Powers and Dan Galati, um, both hosts of the Back Backside Ground Ball podcast. Um, so like and subscribe and, and start listening to their content as well. Uh, two former college baseball players and coaches. Um, so so welcome on, guys. Thanks for having us. Excited. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. Yeah, just for just for some background. So Dan, he. Uh, me and Dan graduated in 2013, actually, and Trevor was on the number one seed, St. Elizabeth Viking, as well, that 2013 team, uh, the number one seed, which it's actually, I think, March 2022, or 22nd, the other day, uh, we kicked off the season 10 years ago. So it's already our 10-year really? anniversary. Yeah, I did look at that. Started with Mountain, I think the 27th, what's today's date? Today we're recording on the 26th, so tomorrow 26th. would be this, the big St. Mark's game. With, uh, where oh it'd be Billy gosh, Phillips and really, so it really catapulted our season. Yeah, 10 years. How crazy is that? That is insane that it's been 10 years. Yep. Eight. I still haven't closed the yearbook, of course. So, you know, to me, it feels like yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here. So that was, uh, just for context, everyone, 18-2 and two year. We lost, we got the number one seed, lost in the semifinals. But it was, uh, I would say, a historic season. For the program, uh, they haven't really been very good since. I think they made it to the playoffs once in the last ten years. So that was a a really really solid team, and I think you know we formed a lot of connections, bonds on that team. That like I, for the most part, I still talk to a lot of those kids. So it was definitely it was probably one of my favorite teams, if not my favorite team I was ever a part of. So for sure, uh, yeah, that team was. I mean, uh, Trevor, I'd like to know your opinion because you were a sophomore, but that team was so much fun. Yeah, I mean, I think, at least from my perspective, as somebody who was younger, like being able to build relationships so easily with you guys specifically, um, but obviously a lot of the upperclassmen as well, I felt like I was closer with than some of the guys in my that were in my class who were obviously really good friends of mine. So it was definitely a good culture, a lot of fun to play and be a part of and, and still remember to this day, like just everything from that season. It went by like a blur because we had just so much fun. Yeah, and uh, just for some additional context, I remember when when our winning streak was going on. I don't know if you guys remember this. The the Miami Heat like twenty two game win streak was going on. I remember we all met up together and like collectively watched. I I forget who they lost to when the streak broke at like twenty six games. We're actually at your house, Dan. So it was like kind of simultaneously going on, and we used it as like a form of motivation. It was really good. So that team for high school was so impressive. We hung out so much off the field. Like, in high school, I feel like that's a little bit rare, but, like, all of us hung out. Like, I remember we would go and eat all the time together. Um, yeah, the Chinese buffet on, on – Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, Hibachi buffet on uh, Kirkwood Highway. So, definitely yeah. definitely some good memories. So, we're getting together for our 10-year anniversary. Um, now, as I mentioned earlier, it's just me today from uh, Two and a Half Athletes. Tony's out golfing. Rick and Sonny couldn't make it. I mean, Sonny can rarely make it. So, um, you know, called, called into the bullpen here and got the real experts. I know they just wrapped up – a. Um, a podcast not too long ago, uh, a really good, insightful baseball podcast. So if you are a baseball enthusiast, I really suggest listening to their content. They told me their topic of the last podcast, they were covering um, the NL West bunt coverages and their defenses. So uh, they definitely they definitely take a deep dive into uh, different teams and divisions around the MLB. But um, obviously some, some big news broke out of uh, spring training. I did. Wasn't going to lead with this, but 
Um, Reese Hoskins out for the year, torn ACL. Uh, Dan knows this. I'm kind of like a overly optimistic at times, and I especially was this year for the Phillies. And I would say that injury has kind of shifted me to like cautiously optimistic, but definitely still. I think their win total still sits at 86. I don't see any reason why like this team doesn't surpass that without reason. Um, cautiously optimistic is the way to go. Every team wants to just get out of spring training healthy. And then um, you're dealing with obviously having to start the year without Harper, which, you know, they could have survived him. You saw them survive it last year when they went two months or whatever after he broke his thumb in San Diego. But then you get you know, now this Hoskins injury is unfortunate. That's a guy who's been in their lineup every day for seven years. Um, and I know he's kind of a, a hot athlete when it comes to Philadelphia fans sometimes because he's so streaky, but that's 400 consistent at-bats that you're getting that you now have to replace. And whether you liked Hoskins or not as a player, you're not going to probably get the same value in those at-bats that you were when you had him in the lineup every day. So it, it's tough, but I would still think they surpass 86 wins, but I don't know. Yeah, and, and it's twofold, too. Like, obviously, he was a really polarizing athlete here. Um, it, it's kind of like similar to the Aaron Nola. He has his, his supporters and he has his doubters. Um, it's hard to replace 30 home runs, right? And I think people would get frustrated, with, you know, back when Gabe Kapler was here, him taking first pitches, him working long counts, sometimes going 0-2 with, like, two fastballs right down the middle and then striking out. So... I understand the frustration from that standpoint, but it's it's definitely going to be hard to replace that bat in the middle of the lineup, especially he's been a staple, like you said, for seven years now in that lineup. And he's one of the more reliable pieces. Like you can rely on him to be there consistently 140 to 150 games. You know, the best ability is availability. So that's one thing you're going to miss with Bryce. But then again, like, and Dan, I ran into your brother yesterday. I was just telling him this. This might be a stretch take, but like the Phillies don't make it to the playoffs last year without Hall and what he did when he had to step in. I mean, he had, I mean, probably his first like 10 games, he made a significant impact. So, like, it's going to be really exciting to see him come up and get his opportunity. I know he really, like, he struggles with lefties, and I'm sure that's going to be very apparent when he's in the everyday lineup. Um, but, you know, it's going to be really fun to see him get a shot. And, like, this is a lineup. If you're a young guy and you're still, you know, fresh in the league, you can flourish in. So it's definitely going to be something interesting to see. So, Yeah, and even if you don't mind cutting in, I know you guys are the Philly fans, but like sometimes people forget we live in a culture where it's all about the MVPs and the superstars. Like guys like Reese Hoskins are important. Like guys that show up every day, guys that bring value in different ways. Your lineup's not built on nine MVP candidates. It's not possible to have guys one through nine. You need guys that do different things and impact the game in different ways. And, you know, a guy like Reese Hoskins who might have his hot stretches, who might have his down stretches, like those guys have a huge piece in the lineup, especially when they show up every day and play rather than a guy who, you know, might impact the game in different ways. So it's definitely going to be hard to replace that value. But, you know, when I look at their roster, I mean, Brandon Marsh took a huge step forward when he came over. That's some power that he can add to the lineup as well as, uh, you know, Derek Hall. I mean, if he can just get you 20 home runs, you can fill in an extra 10 here and there with Alec Baum, who I think is going to keep adding power as well. So like they can, I think 86 wins is light, um, but it's going to be tough to lose a guy like Reese Hoskins because those guys don't get the, the credit they deserve sometimes because, you know, all you have to do is bring value. You don't have to be the superstar every day. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely agree with that. It's and I'm glad you brought up Bomb. I was going to bring him up eventually, but like what he has done this spring training, and like obviously you talked about, they've talked about him like adding. I think it's like ten or fifteen pounds of muscle. So like it's going to be really interesting to see how he's progressed this year. And like if you think about it, his rookie year was the COVID year. He was second in rookie of the year voting. You know, sophomore slump, and then I thought he had a pretty solid year last year. Obviously, it was highlighted early with the fielding errors but like granted he doesn't supply the power that he probably should but i mean i don't see why he doesn't take huge leaps and you have to remember he's a third overall pick like this guy could and should possibly be an all-star at some point right like that that's that's your that's your expectations when you're drafting someone third overall so i'm really excited to see what you know the development that he has um, how he's progressed this offseason. And not to like keep Hall on a short lease, but like you can get to May. There's a lot of bad franchises too. It could be a tire fire, similar to when we had the um, Gene Segura injury, or oh, what was the injury two years ago when we had, to, we had to get like Jay Bruce by May? I forget. It was like May or June. We had to go out and get Jay Bruce really quick and came in, supplied another bat. Um, so like it could be a similar situation like that. Like I know. This is one thing I would like to see personally, but like if the Hall thing does fizzle out, go out and get like Moustakas and you could possibly shift over like, boom, that's another veteran bat that you can add into the lineup probably for fairly cheap too. So, I mean, the lineup's going to, it's 162 games. The lineup's going to shift throughout the year. Like, I don't think they found, like the Phillies didn't find their consistent lineup until like end of September, maybe early September. Yeah. Right, right. Don't rush into like my biggest thing is just give Derek Hall the shot because I think the the thing that sometimes people make the mistake of doing in baseball is you want to just quick patchwork it and you're not going like you're, there isn't a Reese Hoskins out there for you to go and get so don't rush into a move. give Derek Hall an opportunity and to your point last year how many games did Didi Gregorius and Johan Camargo play at shortstop all yep. those guys were on the roster in the playoffs right you went to a World Series without either one of them on your roster so. Why rush into it? 162 games is a long time. You make a great point also of the Jay Bruce thing. Like, okay, if you can evaluate two months, three months even, get Harper back into the fold and then decide what you need to do at first base, um, I think that's huge. I think guys like Edmundo Sosa and Jake Cave are now going to get a real opportunity to get a lot more consistent of at-bats. And um, just to kind of tie everything together, I wouldn't be so quick to rush Alec Baum over to first base, which I'm sure a lot of people are going to say. He's getting better at third. That's where he's comfortable. If you want to see him, like I think one of the worst things you can do to a guy sometimes is if you want to see them take a step forward uh, offensively, don't move them to a place they're not comfortable defensively because that will affect their offense because they are people and you know that messes with guys' heads, right? Like there's a comfort zone of I'm, I'm going to third base every day. I know how to play that position. I can focus on my offense. So if you just are like, okay, now we need you to go play Reese Hoskins' position, that's a lot to ask him to do. 100%. I feel like, I feel like I'm on an island when I say that like, I believe in Alec Bohm as a defender at this point. I feel like he's above average. I feel like you're going to really see the strides this year. Like, that obviously, back in whenever that like three game air situation when he said he fucking hates this place, place like yeah. that obviously stuck in everyone's mind. But like, I really feel like he's gonna put together like a full 162 games, like solid defense this year. And like, he was pretty sure handed for the most part in the postseason.
The, yeah, the errors they made in the postseason, none of them came from him, really. One in San Diego, I guess, but I, I think, like, you know, it's errors are going to happen. He's never going to be Nolan Aaron. Right. That's okay. That's okay. Like, he's he can play average. Hey, I'll take that because like, because Nolan Arenado in the Philly series and then in the World Baseball Classic uh, clearly isn't a big game hitter. So, you know what? I'm, I'm personally fine with that. So... <laughs> Yeah, and gold. You know what, uh, St. Louis, you guys can keep Goldschmidt and Arenado. So, like any any big concerns for you guys this year? I know D. We talked about this. I'm worried about our top three guys. Obviously, Ranger is going to. He's not going to start on the DL, but I know he's not going to. Dan, you mentioned he's not going to pitch in that first series. Um, you know, Wheeler and Nola obviously accumulated a shit ton of innings last year. And you got to remember, Wheeler didn't have a spring training last year, so he was like catching up, so he wasn't fresh. And then he was going deep into October, early November, uh, which isn't a good formula for, you know, your off-season training. And then also, you know, spring training and then early season. So, like, I feel like he's still doing some catching up right now. Obviously, he hasn't had the best spring training, which doesn't concern me. But, uh, you know, you could see some fatigue roll in around, like, June, July. Uh, You could see someone hit a DL at some point. So, like, that's one thing I am really concerned about. But... A lot of people and like Mets fans are like, oh, well, you only have Tywon Walker for the first half of the year and then I'll fold. Okay. I'll take if he, if Tywon Walker pitches like an all star until July or August, I'm fine with that because he might have to carry the load. He might, he might just be our best pitcher for the first half of the year and I'm totally fine with that because like people are going to have to pick up the slack for the time being, which I'm fine with because you kind of, you kind of have a loaded lineup. I like our roster. I like our bullpen, but like, you know, Trey Turner, Castellanos, you know, until like Harper gets back, they're going to have to pick up the slack for him. So I'm not necessarily nervous, but that is one thing on my mind. But I will say this, the, the extension talks, the news came out yesterday that uh, they paused right now with Nola. So obviously it's human nature. You're going to pitch better when money's involved contract year. So I think that's a little bit, a lot more incentive for him because this could be his last big year to get a contract. Yeah, I think when just kind of circling back to your original question about like what are maybe some concerns about the Phillies, I think it's just kind of the fact that the baseball season's a marathon, right? Like last year the Phillies squeaked in, right? And obviously they played really good baseball for stretches. You know, you look at the roster, how do you handle expectations, right? Because it's a fan base that obviously loves their Philly sports. They're passionate. They're going to pack that stadium on a day-to-day basis and they're going to bring the bring the energy every day. How do you handle the expectations of being the reigning National League champs when in reality it's a 162-game season? Your roster last year wasn't the best over 162, but it was the best over those 24-game stretches when they played the best baseball which is the best time to play the best baseball. But, you know, I think in terms of obviously you have two very important guys that are going to be out on opening day. You know, how do you handle the expectations of an improved roster of a team that I can't say off the top of my head how many games they won last year, um, but you have to improve and you have to show that you're going to be that team that did win the NL last year and that team that is going to compete for a World Series when, you know, over the course of a full season, it's a little bit tougher to handle those expectations than in that quick stretch that can be the playoffs all the way to the World Series. Yeah, and, and it's funny too because like the Bryce Harper era so far, like last year was polar opposites, right? So you saw hot starts from the beginning of the year until like late May, early June, and it was the opposite last year. 
And the one thing I always said about the course, so like Real Muto, Hoskins, Nola, Wheeler, not so much Harper. Like they weren't winners. They didn't know how to win. So like winning is a skill, especially in baseball. And then you add guys like Swarber, you add guys like Castellanos, you add, you know, you add guys like Tywan Walker, uh, you know, big pieces to the pen, like that know how to win. And I think Dombrowski understands that. Now, like, you know, the young guys, Stott, boom, they're getting custom, like how, how you win ball games, how you win throughout the year, how you win in the postseason. Like that is a huge, more so than maybe in any other sport. Like that's probably the biggest skill learning how to like win. Like that really, really is important. Like the game of baseball. So, and, and you saw it like once the Phillies made it in 2007, they got swept in the first round. Right. But the fact that, you know, they were able to claw out of a seven game, they were down seven games to the Mets got that postseason experience and then you saw it roll on until obviously everyone fizzled out. But I mean, that was a great six year stretch for them. It's, it's important. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's kind of what makes the Hoskins injury a little bit disappointing is that's what the expectation now was, was okay. They got in, they got a taste of it. They were so close, right? You come up two wins short, um, in the world series. And so it was like, well, this year they reload, they get Turner, they add all those pieces in the bullpen. They had Taiwan Walker, like the expectation was then to take it, you know, the next step. And to Trevor's point, um, now how do you how do you play with those expectations without two of your biggest guys and two leaders, right? Like, I mean, Hoskins has been the face of the Phillies since he came up in, in six fifteen. So, like, I mean, that's a that's a long time for a guy to be there. And and now how do you handle that? And um, we kind of mentioned this on on our show where you can't give you know, Trey Turner the ball and ISO and let him go work right. score 35 points and carry you to a right. win. Like, in the seventh inning of a tight game, there's going to be an at-bat where Bryson Stott's in the box. And, like, you have to understand how to get that job done in baseball. Like, you can't avoid it. You can't you can't have Trey Turner come up in that situation. You can't draw up a play for Turner to get that at-bat. It doesn't happen that way. So, um, but I think for me, my biggest concern, and, and like you said, we've talked about it, is what's the toll – on the, the pitching staff that we don't see yet, right? And you might not see it in the first even couple months, right? You might not know, like, Nola could come out hot and have a great first half, but those innings that he threw, that was more than he's ever thrown, or Ranger Suarez, who threw in multiple roles in the postseason, right. more innings than he's ever thrown. Like, yep. the toll could then catch up in August, and that's what scares me, is like, oh, man, like, these guys just wore down, and now because you're in a competitive division, you don't have enough guys to get you across the finish line. Yeah, and that's I'm kind of hoping it's it's the opposite. I'm hoping it's more a slow start, and then they can kind of catch themselves up. That would be great. Because maybe, yeah. you know, maybe they obviously didn't have the offseason that they're used to. Like, that would be ideal. Right. But I could yeah. obviously see the situation you just laid out existing, which would be very unfortunate. They're 180 yeah. inning, innings in this year, and they just hit a wall, right? And it's yes. like, well, Aaron Nola can't – he's not as successful when his fastball is 90, and he doesn't have as much depth on his breaking ball. Like, that's that's when a guy like him will get in trouble, and Wheeler's a power pitcher. So if, if a power pitcher gets tired, like he had to go on the IL last year with, with fatigue at the end of the year. Yeah. So, like, that's a little bit concerning. Yeah, I mean, and you saw that the game two of the World Series. I mean, his velo was down so much. I mean, then – I mean, granted, he was – the last game of the year, he was awesome. And obviously, you could see his velo was back. I don't know what, what he took or what happened. I mean, it was just like a final game. So, like, yeah, he knew it was the last game of the year. So, like, he just obviously just dealt. But um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's definitely going to be um, something interesting to see. But, 
don't you think they can st- – I mean, I still think even as constructed, this team can compete to win that division. I mean, if Nick Castellanos gives you anything better than what he gave you last year, even without Hoskins, like, you know, I still wouldn't say they're the best roster in the division, but I think they might be the second best roster in the division. Well, so who would who would you say the best is then? So, but, but- Atlanta. Okay, yeah, and before – so before you even said that, I was telling people without, without Harp, like, I think – People were making a little bit too big of a deal about the Harper injury. I don't think I think, and it's in recent years you're starting to see like ACE or UCL tears more common in position players, right? Like I, he's gonna have to come back as a DH, but like it's only really like a five month, six month recovery. Like it's not the same recovery as like obviously, and with obviously as we progress, like. Pitchers are coming back from Tommy John. Like Tommy John used to be a death sentence, right? Like now you get it's like very common. And that's the thing with like Andrew Painter as well, where like people are kind of freaking out with his injury. I was more so on the side, like I kind of hope it's torn, tear it at 19 rather than 26, because prospects like that, they're gonna tear it eventually, right? So I'd rather it be now than later. Um, but like that injury isn't as bad to a position player. And like Harper's really going to be fine at the end of the day. It's just when could they get him back on the field? And people are like, oh, it's going to be July. I was just like, I don't think it's, I really don't think it's going to be July to tell you the truth. I, I couldn't see that happening. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was just going to conclude like it's not about whether he can return from the injury health wise. It's just when is he going to be an everyday in the lineup again? And I think that's that would be like the concern from anybody's. But if people are worried about him regaining strength or regaining health, he's he's one of those few mutants in this world that's going to just be fine. Now, I will say what's in that back in the lineup in June. Like he, he, he can hit. <laughs> he's not out there because he's a gold glove right fielder even before the DH was in the NL. Like that's not what Bryce Harper does. Bryce Harper hits and the UCL is he he swung all year with a torn UCL. He's going to be fine. Yeah, agree. And the the one thing I will say about Harper too is like uh, the one thing that concerns me and it has nothing to do with the injury or Harper. It has to do with the pitch clock and he wasn't able to like practice. He has a long routine. Routine's huge with baseball players too. So like, I'm a, I'm a little bit worried how he's gonna adjust right away. Like he might get off to a really really slow start adjusting, and like it's probably gonna frustrate him. But you know, you heard a lot of players like taking it on the chin. Like I thought Manny Machado was gonna be one of the complaining. He was like, no, you just you have to like we're gonna have to adjust this. Like this is this is modern baseball now. This is this is what it is. So um, it'll be very interesting. I wonder. I, and like. All-time greats like Harp, like, I'm sure he's already practicing this, right? This isn't just, like, it's going to be his first go-around when he when he hops in for his first bad year at Citizens Bank. Like, he's – this is going to be definitely practice from his end. Yeah, I, I mean, like you said, all-time greats like that, they, they have a knack for being able to adjust to any circumstances that are thrown at them throughout their career. And, I mean, one, he'll get a rehab stint in the minor right. leagues where they'll have the pitch clock. So he'll get used. Whereas last year, when you would go on a rehab stint, I think they would. Trevor, correct me if I'm wrong. I think they would cut the clock for the big leaguers on rehab stints last yeah, year. Yeah, Now this year, this year he's going to be on the rehab and he's going to have the clock, and that's where he'll get his practice. And again, he's going to make the adjustment. He'll be fine. He can still tap both sides of the plate and tap his foot and, and look up at the pitcher with eight seconds. You think the Braves had the best roster? I, I personally think that it's probably just um, I'm blinded by my bias, but like I think the Phillies have the best roster. Even this was before the Reese Hoskins injury. 
even without Harper, I was not worried. I still thought we were the best roster in the division. I can I can agree with you now. Probably the Braves are for like the first two months, but once Harper comes back, I think that's got to be us. I kind of think, and we can get into the to the Mets. I know Trevor is like salivating over there. I I know obviously like the Acuna rumors like surface and like there's some bad blood between like the Braves organization and Acuna. So like I kind of believe it a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Like what? How is he going to react to like a little bit of adversity this year? Right. So it, it's going to be really, really interesting to see. And it's like they won a like they won a World Series without him, right? I feel like that that kind of like sits with him a little bit. It's kind of like if you if we were to win, well, I was going to say with with Wentz, right? Like how does that sit with? Yep. And like if they get out to a slow start, like do the fans start turning on them? It, it's going to be an interesting scenario to play out. From my, uh, as I sit here in a Georgia Bulldogs t-shirt with the Atlanta Braves blanket behind me, I'm not going to uh, act like I'm a Braves fan, but I think just from knowing their fan base, I think they love Ronald Acuna, and I don't I don't know if those fans will ever turn on him. It's interesting, you, you bring up what's that feeling for him having watched them win a World Series without him. I don't know, because I don't know him, obviously, and I don't know if there's any animosity as a competitor. I would imagine he's a little bit sour, right? Like as a competitor, you want to be a part when your team wins a world series, you want to be on the field. You want to be a part of it. You want to add to it. Um, and he obviously didn't have a great year last year in general, but I think, you know, ACLs, unlike UCLs where we have come a long way, I think ACLs are still tough to come back from, especially in baseball where like, yeah, you're not running and cutting and there's not a lot of contact on it. Like in football, but just from a having your legs as a as a hitter, it, like you need you got you both were hitters. Like you need your lower half. Like if your lower half if something feels off in your lower half, that can throw everything else off. Like that's it, you're done. And and I just think from the standpoint, like they just make such good moves. And and you look at that roster and like they have one hole, they have one hole, and it's at shortstop. And that one hole in their lineup will probably be filled by a prospect that's going to come up in July or a trade that they'll make that'll make a good move. And for the time being, Orlando Arcia is going to play good enough defense there. And personally, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of forgetting, like, if Ozzy Albies can come back and be healthy and be the player that he is, like, that's, an all, that's another all-star that they're just adding to their lineup that they didn't have all of last year for a team that won 105 games. Yeah, and, and back to the whole ACL thing. I, heard, I read a Kawhi Leonard... Um, quote, he was saying that the ACL injuries now, you aren't really back. Like, your first year coming back off the surgery is, like, getting acclimated again. And you're not your full self until year two. Right, right. I was even going to say, like, statistically speaking, we see that with ACL injuries in all sports. Like, I, I mean, I remember Saquon coming back, and he's literally a unicorn of unicorn athletes. And it's like, there's that one year buffer period where you have to get your legs back under you. So it's not surprising that Acuna did have, you know, almost like um, batted ball profile, exit velocities were a little bit lower, everything of that nature. And, and just being able to, you know, perform at the highest of, of levels for him and, and what his standard is. And obviously, you know, I mean, I'll just kind of go off of, of what I think about the Braves as well to kind of build off of Dan's point is just the fact that, you know, you do have superstars in Austin Riley. You have a burgeoning superstar in Michael Harris. Ronald Acuna has already performed at the level to compete at superstar caliber, perform at an MVP level. You have Ozzie Albies, who was coming off of 2021 
where he was amazing. He was one of the best players in baseball. And then Matt Olson, who's had the best spring of any human being, quite frankly, he's batting around 500 with power and he's just shown a ton of tools and, you know, sure, a shortstop's a hole, but when you look at a lot of teams that are going to try to compete, we, Dan and I just talked about today, the Seattle Mariners, and you look at, oh, well, they're two holes up the middle, and that's a team that's expecting to win the AL and compete for a World Series, um, you know, for one position to be a hole and also to bring at least average defense. I think it's definitely something that that team is is pretty much as as complete as it can get, and they're going to compete at a pretty high level. Well, and Acuna is like Acuna is a guy who's a, a perennial MVP candidate and All Star as well. Like you're talking about a guy who, yes, coming back from the injury and getting acclimated, but that's another one of these guys who's one of the best players in the league. And so when you when you look at an injury like that, getting him back to full strength, once he gets that year, he's going to find that extra gear to make sure that he plays at that high of a caliber. And I mean, just Austin Riley's been knocking on the door for of an MVP for the last three years. And then you add uh, one of the best catchers in baseball to the lineup. Like th- this is a, a roster and a team that um, just doesn't have many holes. Like I guess the bullpen may- maybe, but Rossiel Iglesias came over and, and he looked like a premier back end reliever like he did for when he was in Cincinnati. So I, I just think that, you know, they're, they're the, uh, the standard in that division, whether um, the Mets and the Phillies can catch them will be more about, you know, whether or not they can, they can play above their capabilities a little bit. Uh, now, the high-profile team with a huge offseason and nothing but, but headlines, the Mets, they're going to have an interesting year. And, I mean, they had a very interesting World Baseball Classic. So they lost Diaz for, I want to say, the year. I know they're saying like eight months, nine months. I'm pretty sure it's going to be the year unless like somehow he can get healthy enough to, and they make a World Series run, which we all know is not going to happen. Um, and I, I just like, I don't know. They they lose they lose to Grom, which I think they actually made a good decision not giving him that deal that the Rangers did. They bring in Verlander. Their their two oldest pitchers are like 40 years old. Like granted, they're very good, but. Scherzer hasn't really been that healthy the last two years. I don't think people are acknowledging that. Like he's when he pitches, he's the same the same beast. But like, I don't know. I don't know if he can give you a full a full season of like old Max Scherzer. So it's going to be really interesting to see. And like, you know how the Mets are. The media, like their fans, they're going to be really hard on him. You already see Lindor starting to beef with like all the radio and and writer uh, the writers in New York because they're mad saying that the World Baseball Classic doesn't mean anything. And I think that stung, like, for, for Puerto Ricans and Dominicans, that's that's a massive deal for them. Like, I don't think people really understand it. Like, and that's why they celebrated the way they did. And that's what makes the World Baseball Classics, like, if you look at those stands and the atmosphere, like, that's that's their life, is baseball. It's like European soccer for them. Correct. Go ahead, Trev. I know you. Got yeah, it. I mean, I, yeah. So, like, I guess I should give a little bit of background for my like hatred towards the Mets. Not that you guys aren't Philly fans who don't like the Mets, but I did have a roommate in college who was a pretty big Mets fan, and just like those blue and orange glasses, they run deep, man. Like they and they can cloud you pretty pretty deeply through the whole thing, and and even like to a certain extent, like I think Edwin Diaz, it hurts to lose him, yes, but like. 
I do think that relievers, and we've seen this in the MLB today, like they're they're important, but they're also replaceable in terms of value. You know, like the pulse to get a ninth inning out in the in New York's different than the pulse to get a ninth inning out in Miami, but stuff is stuff. And, you know, nowadays guys kind of grow on trees. So like I was kind of down on the Mets before Edwin Diaz got hurt. I mean, I know I've said that before, but you know, I just wouldn't hinge my bets on 40 year olds. Like that's just quite frankly, the way I look at it is just in terms of health. Dave, you mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, the best ability is availability, right? And when you're hinging your bets on guys to perform at 40 years old, it's hard to guarantee that they're going to be at their peak come playoff time. That's just not something you can guarantee in any sport. That's why it's so tough to predict injuries. They could go out and make 30 starts. That's fine. But if there's any correlation between injuries and age, it's the older you get, the more injured you get, the less healthy, healthy you are and just everything from that nature. And just like, you know, I, I'm not sold on the lineup. I think there's some potential there, right? Like, but I just don't, I don't think it's as good. If you took that lineup and stuck it in Minnesota and put Minnesota's lineup in New York, it would be like, they would just talk about what, whoever has a pulse in the lineup is great. Cause that's how their fan base is. And, you know, they finally have an owner who's committed to, to invest in and winning, but I'm just not sold on that group of guys that they have. And and I would have be hard pressed to put my money into guys that are 38, 40 years old, just hoping that they can stay healthy for the course of 162 game season and be in peak form come, you know, game 162 to 200. Yeah, I, I agree, Trev. And, and I think one of the reasons, and for, don't get me wrong, Berlander had a phenomenal year last year, but like the one thing that's stuck in everyone's mind, like your last image, Verlander had a, a pretty good postseason run, a better World Series than what we usually see from him. And that's like the last image is him hoisting up the trophy. Yes, he was a Cy Young last year, but he's 40. So like, I think that's why people are falling more so in love with the name and they're not really diving deep to like, they just signed a 40 year old for two years at a really, really, really expensive price. And like, that's a risk. I don't think, I think people are just looking at this more of a, a home run rather they're not looking at the risk side of it at all um and we all know it's the mets like things just go wrong there so it's going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out and like trev i said the same thing last year i look at their lineup and i'm i looked at their lineup last year i remember texting i was like i don't really understand why this lineup is so hyped up i really don't even when they got correa yeah their lineup probably would have been a lot better but like for like two weeks. Yeah. I, I just, I wasn't in love with it. Mm-mm. No, no. That's the thing that like they're, the, I think the contracts they handed out this off season are kind of ridiculous, except for Kode Senga. And I think Senga has enough um, of a track record in Japan to know that he's going to come over and be really good. But you look at Verlander and yes, he won a Cy Young last year, but he's pitching into his forties. He's two years removed from Tommy John as a 41 year old pitcher. Max Scherzer, I know they didn't hand out that contract this year, but Max Scherzer's also in his 40s, right? Jose Quintana's already out until July with issues. He's a guy who had a bounce back year. He had had coming off of like three or four straight down years, and he's getting older. They signed Brandon Nimmo for $162 million, a guy whose variability is so high. Like he, he McNeil and Nimmo, who are two guys who you really rely on in that order, are two guys who live off off balls, you know, batting average on balls in play, 
right? Like they, they're guys who don't hit the ball hard. They don't hit the ball in the air. And when you look at all the successful offensive players in this league, they usually hit the ball hard and they hit the ball in the air. And now you're relying on two guys who don't do that. So yeah, last year they might hit 320, but this year, if there are guys that happen to be standing where those balls are hit, they're going to hit 220 and they're not going to hit the ball over the fence enough for you. They had power struggles last year. They didn't have enough offensive juice. That's why getting Daniel Vogelbach at the deadline was celebrated in New York, which like no offense to Daniel Vogelbach, but I'm not counting on Daniel Vogelbach to be in the middle of my lineup every day. The one guy you can count on and can pencil in to have a really good year is Pete Alonso. Like, you know what he's going to do. He's going to walk a ton. He's going to drive in guys in front of him and he's going to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And lastly, before, you know, I don't want to bury them too deep, but like, they're also counting on Starling Marte, who's also an aging guy who uses his legs a lot to, to, to be good. And he's also getting older. So, like, you're banking a lot on guys that just aren't sure things when you talk about their offense. And then starting pitching, you have one guy who's out till July, and you got two other guys who are pitching in their 40s. And that can be a dangerous game to play, too, a little bit because they won last year on timely hitting, which is also something that doesn't happen year to year. And they won with starting pitching, which if your starting pitching is hurt and you don't get timely hits, you could be looking at a team that could be a major disappointment. Now, they'll probably fall somewhere in between major disappointment and best team in the league, which is what normally happens with everything. But I think it's a little bit dangerous, and I'm not as bought into the Mets as uh, a lot of the national media seems to be either. Yeah, and you (laughs) – that was funny you brought up Daniel Vogelbach and that he was so celebrated there. I feel like he was so celebrated because he's really relatable to Mets fans because he is just like the definition of a slob and that's like the epitome of a Mets fan. It's like he was just so relatable. He was just like essentially living out every Mets fan's dream. Like if like he's, if he's like come October, he's in the middle of your lineup, like good luck. I, right? Like, am I not, I'm, it's not crazy to say that. Like, how is this guy hitting in the middle of a lineup of a team that's going to win a World Series? I can't see it. I, I don't. And good for them for not, which we've talked about this, good for them for not just selling all that. Because a lot of times when you see owners this aggressive, they'll just sell the farm. And they have a good farm system. And they haven't done that. Go ahead, Trev. But that's my, that was my whole complaint over the offseason as like it's easy to have that energy like we're going to build from within, we're going to spend smart, all this stuff like that. But what happens in July of this year when you have catchers that are okay, good enough, right? And you might not want to put Alvarez back there every day and halt his development. And then a Corbin Burns is available and the Brewers are like, give us Alvarez and we'll give you Corbin Burns. And your owner's sitting there with a 500 ball club saying like, and with Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer on the shelf going, could Corbin Burns be the piece that we need? And then you start to sell off those pieces. It's easy to say that in, in hindsight. It's easy to say that now, like, oh, we're not going to trade process, prospects. But when you're investing that much money as an owner, at what point do you finally say, screw the guys that are playing in triple ball right now. We don't need them. We need guys in the MLB today because I'm putting a ton of money into this roster. Yes. I mean, that's the, that's my concern. Yeah. And that's a good point too. And like, if you want to look at that, like a similar situation is how the Phillies offloaded, um, uh, what was the catching prospect, uh, for Logan Ohapi Ohapi for, for Marsh, right? We also needed like outfield production now. And obviously we have Romuto, like no one's going to surpass Romuto in the next four years. Right. But he got a young prospect that could contribute now. That's the difference I think with like, Dembrowski versus, you know, 
the Mets trying to make a home run move now. 100%. And, and I mean, I think that, like, that's the, the pressure and the, the, the tough part about being in New York is, to Trevor's point, is, like, if they're not doing what their fans expect, which Lord knows their fans probably expect them to be better than 105 wins last year, um, especially with all the slander I've seen on social media of Jacob deGrom, you know, and how they think they're better now with Verlander. Um, like, wh- how do you react? Like, we'll, we'll get to see how Uncle Steve, who's the cool guy who everyone loves because he's opening up his checkbook. But, like, if you're not where they expect you to be come deadline time or come the end of this year, like, the pressure is going to get cranked up tenfold on him and what they expect him to do. And then, you know, that's where you see teams in these big markets start to fold. And what's been so impressive with the longevity of teams like the Yankees. But, I mean, it even happened in Boston, right? Like, in Boston, they got, like, Dombrowski wins them a World Series. Dombrowski basically pushes all the chips to the middle of the table, and then he gets run out of town when they're not, you know, when they're expecting more, and he's not doing it. And still gets torched by people like me. And still gets torched by people like Trevor for what he did in Boston. Hold on. Explain yourself, Trevor. (laughs) No, it's just like, it's just kind of something that we go back and forth on all the time. It's like Dombrowski's a win now GM, which is good in places like Philadelphia. And you just have to understand that like, there might be some ups and downs in terms of whether it be like in Boston, like expecting them to turn it around and be a good organization with the way the fan base pushed all the chips in the way they put Dombrowski's head to the fire in that scenario was just stupid. It's fan bases like Boston that expect to win every year, no matter what your depth of your organization looks like, no matter what your farm system looks like. And Dombrowski was doing what Boston fans want. It's what he's did done everywhere is he's going to move pieces. He's going to push money on the table. He's going to do everything to win immediately. And longevity wise, like you can't complain in year three and four post Dombrowski when your organization is still a dumpster fire because he's going to trade the guys in low A that are, might be future stars. Yeah. I, I do agree with you there, but I think he has done a good job. I don't think he was necessarily dealt a great hand when he took over here. So, like, from our perspective, I think he has done a good job, but I do get what you're saying. Also, he's evolved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he has and evolved. He's done a great job. He, he yeah. definitely has evolved. And I will say, we're, we'll, we're going to get into, like, our boom and bust teams for this year. But the one team I'm really intrigued with this year is the, uh, the Red Sox. And they've kind of – I used to be – because I, I love Mookie Betts. So, like, when he was coming up, I loved Mookie. X is one of, like, my favorite players. And I have fallen in love with Rafael Devers. I th- I've been saying for the last two years, I think he's the best third baseman in the league. Um, but the fact that they couldn't keep the court, like, I, I will never understand them not signing Mookie Betts. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. Like, you had the guy and you traded him. Like, I don't, and, like, Boston's a huge market team. You have the money. But then you go out and sign someone like a Trevor Story, like it just didn't make sense. Um, and then like you weren't, you couldn't meet an extension deal with with Xavier Xavier Bogarts. And then it's like, okay, well at this point, should we just offload Devers? And then you sign him to a massive deal. So it's just like I don't, I don't really understand what's going on up there. It doesn't make sense. Like you had the pieces, you won a championship, then you didn't pay, but like you had the money. Yeah, and then you give $90 million to an unknown commodity coming over from Japan right after you let Bogarts walk. That's kind of what I agree with you. Like, they're what I mean, I think 
I think Heim Bloom is learning how hard the job is there because I think some of his moves you can tell have been pressure. Like he clearly came in with a vision that ownership was okay with, but then when the fans started to voice their complaints a little bit, he started to feel a little bit of pressure, and that's why you've seen some of the the kind of missteps. I I think that you're spot on though. I don't know what their direction is sometimes either because, like you you let Mookie go, you let Bogarts go, you sign Devers to an extension, you sign Masataka Yoshida. And it's like, well, what made you like Yoshida more than you liked Bogarts or Devers? Now, obviously, Bogarts signed for $330 million, so maybe it's just that, well, we gave $90 million to Yoshida, so that's it's you know, $110 million less. So I, I get that a little bit. But the Mookie thing is interesting because, I mean, Mookie Betts was in the prime of his career, but I think that was Bloom coming in and being like, we need to go in a different direction. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know what the Red Sox are doing. They're intriguing, though. I will say at the time when Mookie was uh, on the brinks of becoming a free agent and same like Lindor was like a year or two after, I was always saying that the most valuable players, the two most valuable players in my opinion, that I would go out and sign for any amount of money when it comes to like locker room guys, production, winning, were Mookie Betts, and Lindor. I think I was right about Mookie, and I think I was totally wrong about Lindor. In my opinion, I get it. He plays for the Mets now, so like I'm probably a little bit biased. I don't like him anymore. Um, but I, my opinion has totally shifted there. I think I missed on the Lindor piece. Because um, I, I don't think he's one to galvanize like a locker room the same way Mookie can. That's an interesting point. I mean, I think that – I mean, yeah, I think high, I think more highly of Mookie Betts and Francisco Lindor as well. I mean, I – I think Mookie Betts is a is a once in a generation type player, personally. I mean, you're talking about a guy who could probably go be an everyday second baseman and plays outfield, and like he would be one of the better second basemen in baseball right now and still hit you know 35 homers. Yeah, I mean, he could go out and be a a bowler, professional bowler, if he wanted to. He literally could do what he can literally do whatever he wants. Honestly, he's uh he's an impressive athlete. That doesn't happen often. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I don't think we have anything additional on the Mets. Trevor, closing closing thoughts, remarks on the Mets. Are you good? No, as I've said on our podcast several times, just Steve Cohen and Mets fans, keep that energy, right? When you sign a bad contract, you better be doling out the same amount of money. We've seen owners come out guns a-blazing with money. I mean, we just talked about the Red Sox. Like, they wanted to throw big money around, and sometimes that for longevity of an organization and wanting to, you know, be a consistent winner. I know he has monopoly money, it seems like, at times, but Steve Cohen didn't get rich spending his money stupid, right? He did not get rich just throwing caution to the wind. He got rich by spending money smart and smart people with money don't just go throwing money like it's nothing and spending it on guys that aren't valuable long-term. So if Brandon Nimmo craps a bed in year three and they're ready to get rid of him, don't expect them to just go sign another average MLB outfielder. Yeah, agree there, Trev. So it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to watch them this year and how everything unfolds. Um, and probably enjoyable for the most part. Um, okay, so we're going to shift over. One thing I know uh, our podcast we like to do is like a boomer bust during like the NFL season or NBA season. So um, we can we can start with the boom. So we just want to pick one team, and it doesn't have to be like in regards to like a boomer bust, or like a boom team, like not someone that you think could have, like has a legit chance to um, you know win the World Series. Like just kind of under the. It could be an under-the-radar type of team that like not a lot of people are talking about. So um, I don't know. Trev, Dan, you want to kick us off with a boom? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll kick you off. I'm going to go um, with a team that this is a personal thing. I just love how they've built their roster, and I think they have a ton of depth. And I think after last year, um, no one's kind of looking at them. I think they also play in probably the least followed division in all of baseball. Um, but that's the Twins. I think that when you look at the Twins roster and how they've compiled it, they've done a – I mean, Correa fell back into their lap, which really helps them. But some of the moves they made, especially to shore up their pitching staff um, – like, I, I'm a guy who loves Pablo Lopez, and they offloaded Luis Arias, who's a guy who I'm not a huge fan of, to get him, which I think was was brilliant. They got Chris Paddock last year. If he's healthy, he's really good. They got Simeon Woods Richardson, um, who people have kind of seemed to forget about. He was a, a top pitching prospect with the Blue Jays. He's now in the Twins organization. He can be really good. Um, and then offensively, they have a ton of pieces, and they took a flyer on Joey Gallo, who's a guy who I think can regain his form. I think playing in a market like Minnesota is going to really help. Um, and then like Byron Buxton's healthy. And then they went out and got a really good defensive center fielder and Michael A. Taylor so that Buxton can get off his feet every, you know, once a week you can get Buxton off his feet and try and keep him healthy. And, and one of these days Buxton will win an MVP if he can play a full season. I mean, he's that good. Um, so I'm going to go for my boom t- team. I'm going to go with the twins. I know that's kind of a, an, an off the market one. I don't know if they're going to win a world series, but I think they're going to win that division. You just want me to follow him up right there? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Cool. No, you're good. You're good. I just didn't want to cut you off if you had anything to fill. And this, I always tell everybody, this is probably why our podcast isn't as popular because we're not controversial. Dan and I like lean on the same side of everything. So whoever you had first was probably going to say the twins, but I was actually leaning a different way as we got to the question because um, I like the way the twins are operating as well. But uh, my team is going to be the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, at, we did the NL Central preview this past week. And, you know, as I kind of looked at their roster, like I know they operate in a weird way. I don't like the way their ownership operates. I don't like the way their management operates. I don't like the way they handled the Corbin Burns situation and all those things like that. But I think Aaron Ashby is a guy who's just a ticking time bomb waiting to go off. And that's your number four starter. You're sitting pretty. Uh, he's got elite stuff. He's got elite swing and miss. He's he's had success, just not in terms of actual ERA. He misses barrels. He misses bats. He's a tough pitcher to hit. And then I just look at their lineup. And their lineup in terms of name value, which matters, uh, especially to the national perception, is not that what you would imagine. You know, Christian Yelich is kind of on the downswing to what was an impressive peak. But they really do a good job of identifying guys that can impact the game in a multitude of ways. They have guys that will strike out, but they also have guys that hit balls hard and hit balls in the air and they draw walks. So they're going to be a team that's going to outperform their, you know, average per se. They're going to be high OBP guys that put the ball in play hard. And I think one through nine, as I was kind of breaking down their lineup, they have a lot of guys that can just impact the baseball in a couple different ways. Garrett Mitchell is going to be a guy who's going to come up and impact with his legs a little bit more. So that's going to give them a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of uniqueness to their roster where it's not kind of all the same guys. So I'm pretty excited about what their lineup has to offer. And obviously their pitching staff is just lethal. Yeah, those are, those are two really good ones. Um, one, I'm going to stick in the AL East here. And I feel like this is probably the, the team that's getting talked about the least and probably for the last couple of years, rightfully so. And it's the Orioles. Um, and Dan, I've expressed, I love Adley. I think he's also, and when he came up last year, I looked this up. He was like, I think it only ends up being like top 40 in, in, in war. But the names that he was ahead of were like, yeah. like all-stars. It was remarkable. And Grant was only up for like three-fourths of the year, I want to say. He finished 
I don't think a lot of people know this. He finished like tenth in MVP voting too as a rookie and didn't even play the full year. And I think that's such a big piece when you can get in like a young, uh, a young leader at the catcher position, like kind of similar to like a Buster Posey. I think it shifts your entire roster, right, and your entire locker room, your entire organization. And you saw as soon as he came up, and granted, he only hit like two fifty as a rookie, like. His bat isn't, like, one of the best in the league, but, like, he's solid. He, he clearly knows how to play the game of baseball, and he can manage a baseball game at such a young age. Um, and they built such momentum last year. And I feel like once they kind of got on that hot streak towards the end of the year, they started getting, like, a little bit of attention. Um, but I'm, I really hope they carry that into this year. And, and the reason why, like, they might not make the playoffs, but I think they're really going to compete in that division because I'm not sold on that division really this year. And, like, you saw the Yankees get off to a really, really hot start last year. They're essentially what the Yankees are doing are running it back, minus obviously they brought in Rodon, right? So their staff's going to be a little bit better. I'm not sold. I, I haven't been sold on Toronto for like the longest time. I'm not a firm believer in them, and I feel like Guerrero's susceptible. It's he he could get injured. I feel like at any point, like his health, I feel like is always in question. Granted, he does look like he's in better shape, but. I'm not the biggest Toronto believer. Tampa's always solid. And then you have, as I mentioned, like Boston's a huge question mark. Like, I don't know what to expect from them. So I'm kind of hoping they, they ride that momentum into this year and like surprise a lot of people, maybe grab that last wild card spot. Like who knows? They obviously needed to turn over that roster after, you know, Machado let they sign those terrible deals and it was going to take a few years. And like, now you're starting to see, uh, you know, those young prospects come up and now, like, their plans, like, come to fruition. So, like, it's it's going to be really interesting to see. And, like, I, I like that organization, and I like their fan base, too. It's, like, it, it would be fun to see them get back into the mix for a full season and not just, like, in the later half and, like, they kind of fizzled out towards the end of the year. So, it'll be really interesting to see. I'm excited for it. No, I'm, I love that answer. I think Adley Rushman, one, I think you're talking about a guy who doesn't swing and miss, who knows the strike zone. And, like, you know, you look at him in, in baseball, he was, you know, in the 96th percentile walk percentage and 88th percentile whiff percentage and 82nd chase rate. So, like, he knows the zone. He's going to start hitting. Like, just be patient. I would – I think he's the second best catcher in baseball already. Like, I, I really – I think he's that good. Like, I think he's better than Will Smith. And I think it's like real Muto, Rutschman, and Will Smith, and then a drop off at that position in the league right now. So I was telling um, Phillies fans last year, like JT's the because they always want to claim like the best catcher in baseball. Like, that stupid phrase, which no one says. That wasn't even a phrase until JT Muto came to Philly. Like that was never like a debate. But like he can be the best catcher in baseball right now. But like Rutschman's coming, and it, it like faster yeah, than like what people are anticipating. So. 100%. Um, and I'll also say, real quick, when D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez are pitching in Baltimore, when they when they come up, that team's going to be really good. So let me ask you this, because you think they're going to surprise people. Who do you think finishes behind them? Because this that division's tough. It is tough. So I think Boston definitely finishes behind them. I think Toronto's going to – I think Toronto could finish behind them. There'd be a lot of mad Canadians if that happens, because they're expecting <laughs> to have a really good team this year. Like a really good team, so that but, would be impressed. But would be- but haven't they supposed to have like a really good team? I, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just talking. Their expectations yeah. in in Toronto, I feel like, are are at an all time high. So um, that'd be interesting if they, both those teams finish behind. And them. I do like. Don't get me wrong. I really do love the roster, but I feel like people really fell in love with like 
these young prospects like Bobichet, obviously like Bobichet, uh, Guerrero yeah. is phenomenal. He's phenomenal to watch. Um, Biggio, back when he was coming up to like, I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like it was more, it, it was just way too much hype. And obviously when like a team gets hyped up, I'm like the ultimate hater. So I just like go the other way. And I'm just like trying to stick to that take. Um, but I don't know. Like I kind of, I kind of need the seat at this point. Like this is, I would say this is more so like year three for them with the hype. So it's like, come on, let's not make it to a championship series, but like maybe, maybe then I'll be a believer. Like I need to see something like moving forward. So um, because they were never like one of the top teams last year, that's what no frustrating. They, like, they were so be. battling out at the end of the year. It's just like, come on, like you're you're celebrating making. And then granted, like this is like the Phillies every year because we do the same shit. We always hype up our rosters and then like we fizzle out or like we don't make the playoffs. So it's like, I, I get it. And like, we're annoying too, but you know, at some point you need to see results. Uh, you're, you're spot on. I mean, they did win. I mean, in fairness, I believe they won 92 games. Last yeah. Year. And it's in a, in a, which I mean, phenomenal division. And very, right. very phenomenal. division. But, but as I said too, the Yankees had a hot start last year, their second half. And in like, Everyone knew they were going to lose to the Astros, too. Like, I don't know. I didn't think they should have necessarily just ran it back. But that's an interesting point, too. I mean, I, 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 that's a good point. I don't know if the Yankees should have or not. That's, that's I, I have opinions that. on the Yankees, yeah. but we, I don't know if we have time for that. It's kind of like the Mets, too. Like, it's hard, yes. it's hard to play. It's just really hard to play in big markets. And also, and also like, think about it. They were that good last year. Is 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 like is Aaron Judge going to have that season again? No. That's what we've been talking about. Is he going to hit sixty-one home runs right. again? No. Like it's not like he's probably not going to hit sixty-one home runs. Now, if if someone can can sure up Aaron uh, John Carlos Stanton's hamstrings, like just put him in a bubble. That's another thing too. I, Injuries aside, I think he gets unfair criticism in New York. Oh, 100%. He, no, 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 no. They hate him. Like, they do not like John Carlos. Yes, I know. they do. They boo yeah. him all I'm the time. I'm like, dude, he it's is. Now, injuries aside, because I'm one to, like, bet, as mentioned earlier, best ability is availability. But he's been awesome for that. I think maybe he had, like, one really down year. Like, he's been really fucking good. The first year was a and Also, yeah, like, yes. you guys traded for him knowing what his contract was. So, like, that's not his fault. Correct. It's not like they and, and I, I don't think that's been a problem either. Contract no. in Miami, they trade for him. That's not on him. That's on the organization. So you can't you can't bring up the numbers in regards to him. In my opinion, he has sixty six home runs the last yeah. two years. That's what you were signing yeah. up for. I mean, that's it. Like that, that you're getting exactly what you bargained for. A guy. He's not playing all the time either. Right. Right. Yeah. Now imagine if he puts a full one together. Also. I am a massive Glaber Torres hater too. So, well, that's yeah, fair. I'm not, yeah, I mean, Glaber Torres, I think, is just a fascinating case study to be done because he goes from hitting two home runs one year to twenty-seven the next. And I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't have Glaber Torres figured out. And he's, that, he's I, not a shortstop, which is why I think a lot. He's of people not a shortstop. Like I'll say this. Well, and I'll say this too before we get into way too deep here. For the Yankee fans that are hyping up. 
Peraza and Volpe. Yeah. Remember, Glaber Torres was Peraza but and Volpe. Volpe. Yep. And that is one thing when it comes to prospects that people do not correctly value, that it is a lot harder to be an everyday big leaguer than it is to be a top prospect. Right. Good yeah. point, Trap. Okay, we'll do we'll do snake draft here. So I'll go I'll go first for the bust. I have a lot of candidates for this, but is this player or team? Player. Oh, oh sorry, sorry, sorry. I just said player. I meant team. Team. I, oh, no, no, no. I, I have I have a lot of picks here, and I'm gonna just try and stick to one. I'm gonna go with the Rangers. Okay. And only the Rangers, okay, they don't have they don't have the postseason or the the offseason hype, but they should. Like the contracts that they have on that roster are absurd. Yeah. Yeah. And like they're just I, I don't know. Like they're just not very good. They're really not very good. Like <laughs> the um Jesus, why am I drawing a blank? DeGrom deal, he's making like fifty mil a year. They signed Seeger, they signed Simeon, yeah. which is a terrible contract, and I just feel like no one's talking. The yes. Simeon one? But every other year, he's a top three MVP finisher. So if you go by that, it would be this year he'll be a top three oh. finisher. Like he was a top three MVP finisher in 21. Okay, well, we will so. revisit that. We, we will, yeah, we we will revisit can. that. And, and last year was his first year with the Rangers, I think. Right, so first, since signing yeah. that contract, it, it has not been very good. Is it, you're right. It hasn't been good yet, but it could be this year. I think um, bounce back. Go ahead, Trev. Who's yours? No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead, Trev. I'm sure, I'm sure yeah, you guys are going to touch on mine at some point, or others that I have. Yeah, I mean, I I just with the with the Rangers, I just think that like I love Corey Seager, so I He's I have a tough I have a tough time. Yeah, I, I have all a t- three of us are agree on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was really that's really disappointed why, uh, when he when he went there too because I felt like that was a death sentence, and he's going to get lost. Yeah. He, he's going to win the MVP. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he could win the MVP this year. I'm not going to lie to you. I think he might. I And he I hope so. Good. I really hope so. And I hope they're good because I love Corey Seager. But, like, they should be better than what they are. And maybe they will be. But then again, like, we just talked about it. I think that the ground deal was so bad. Like, that was such a bad deal. It could be. If he's not healthy, it is. If he's healthy, he's the best pitcher in the world. So, like, the variability, that like, the, there's a low a low floor and a high yeah. ceiling. So, that's where it's tough. I mean, but if that starting rotation stays healthy, we just talked about this when we just did our AOS preview. When that rotation stays healthy, it might be the best rotation. Yeah, and, and I'm – But not, they never stay healthy. That's yeah, and I'm saying this now. DeGrom's probably going to shove it down the Phillies' throat come Thursday. So. On Thursday? Oh, yeah. Without so. a doubt. Long season, long season. Trev, go with your bus team because I'm curious who you're going to say because I don't know who I'm going to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a tough time right now because um, it's just like perception-wise, like obviously we already touched on the Mets, so I don't necessarily yeah, just want to continue with them. But I'm going to go St. Louis Cardinals. And, and the reason why is I, I have not bought like – I get caught with the voodoo magic every year, like being down on the Cardinals. So at some point I'm going to eventually like get one right. Um, but I think we talked about investing in 40 year olds. Uh, Wainwright's already on the, the IL. Um, you know, he had a good ERA last year, but in terms of like luck, batted ball luck, there was a lot. 
Miles Mikolas, who they just signed to $20 million a year. I would be like, that just, just doesn't make sense to me. Jack Flaherty can't stay healthy. Um, and it's just Jordan Montgomery had a couple good starts when he came over. I'm just not sold. You know, I think there is some potential in the lineup. Obviously you have Goldschmidt and Arenado, but I think in terms of what else is there, you have to get a really good Tyler O'Neill, which is far from a guarantee. Jordan Walker has to be an impact guy right away. There needs to be guys that take a step forward. And, you know, I'm just not sold on the pitching staff. Quite frankly, I, I said this on our podcast when we did the NL Central. I think their pitching staff stinks. Like, I think their bullpen's good. I think their lineup has potential. I think their pitching staff stinks. And the, the Cardinals have always had good pitchers. So I could be the one eating my words come, you know, even as quickly as June, July. But I just am not that impressed with that roster. I, 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 you took mine. I, I'm going to probably make some headlines here. And I don't know how I'm right saying this, but. I'm just going to go with the Padres and I'm going to say Padres because I'm going to I'm going to go with this. To me, you you build a roster that looks like that, you better win your division. If you don't win your division, then I would say it's a little bit of a bust because of the the, the lineup that you're rolling out there. When you're line, rolling out a lineup that has the names of Juan Soto, Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr., Xander Bogarts like that's an all-star team. Like those are all perennial all-stars. So you better win your division. And I don't, I somehow still think, even though this is probably the, the worst Dodgers team we've seen in a, a handful of years, I still think the Dodgers find a way to win that division. I also don't quite believe in the Padres pitching staff. I Blake Snell really struggles to be consistent, which you need out of the top of the rotation. I don't like the Darvish contract. I think, Darvish has seen better days. I think that there's past to beat you, Darvish, and um, his fastball just isn't good enough. And I think as he gets older, it's going to continue to get worse. And then they're going to ask a lot out of uh, Nick Martinez to put him in the in the rotation this year. And like Nick Martinez's stuff profiles as a reliever. Like he's a he's got two good pitches, and I, I so I'm going to say their pitching staff's going to be the downfall, and I'll go with the Padres. They're probably going to win 100 games. I'm going to look like an idiot, but I'll go with Padres. I think Dave. I think I think Dave. That's who you you kind of hinted at. You agree with me? Well, well, so I was waiting for you to go because you both touched on two teams that I wanted to. So Trev, real quick to touch on the Cardinals. I'm always opposite with the Cardinals going into the year. There's something about like that their brand, like they're just and like they've been good for so long now. Right, but one thing I want to point out: losing Yachty, Granted, he's not; he doesn't produce the same. But losing him in the locker room and his his brilliant mind, his baseball mind, is going to be a lot bigger impact than like what people are going to lead on. And like, granted, like once they brought back Pujols last year, like that was another great solid bet just to have around the guys as well. Voodoo but magic. I will say this: the series, the playoff series, the wild card series, whatever you want to call it, against the Phillies was a massive, massive, massive turnoff for me for Nolan Arenado and, and Goldschmidt. And then it was just all reminded, I, like it was just like flashbacks of how bad they were, their production were, and key at bats. And that's it, when I watched them hit again back to back in the World Baseball Classic. I was like, holy shit, I forgot how bad these guys were and how many times they came up in key situations. I remember thinking, I'm like, oh, fuck, like, the Phillies are screwed. Goldschmidt and Arenado are coming up. And they just fell apart that series. I mean, series was only ended up being two games. But two games. that was like a massive turnoff for me. And like I always, always thought highly of the Cardinals. I still do as an organization. It's like one of the best 
organizations in baseball and has been for a long time. But like that was a huge turnoff for me with them. And I like their p- pitching staff doesn't impress me. Their lineup, it just doesn't do it for me anymore. Um, so it'll be really interesting mm-hmm. to see how, how they unfold this year. And then the Padres, Dan, I said it to you earlier this year. I don't th- they have these like hyper aggressive owners now. I don't understand like what they were doing this offseason. I-, I said it to you. They were like throwing darts at a dartboard. They have like five shortstops Everybody. on the roster now. And like <laughs> but they have no plan. They're just going out and signing names. And like you look at the guys that they offered to, like Trey Turner, they offered them like which or no, it was it was Judge they offered the four hundred million dollar contract. And then Trey Turner, 360. It's like they don't they don't have a game plan. They're just going out to like, hey, let's go. So they have Tatis, they have X, they have Machado. Um, like Tatis is going to be their center fielder. Soto. It's right field. Right fielder. I think Grisham will play center and Tatis will play right. Soto will I, kick to left. I mean, they're defensively, I don't think they really make a lot of sense. Like Tatis was Tatis is terrible <laughs> at his primary position. Now he has to go learn an entirely new position. Now, granted, he was playing outfield as well, but like everyone talked about, you want to talk about Alec Baum's defense gets magnified. Tatis' defense does not get magnified enough or talked about enough because he is a horrific defender. And like I don't like the Manny. Well, no, they did just extend him. Soto's still his deal's pending. Who knows what's going to happen there? Like I don't even. I guess they can afford him. He's going to be I, a man. I don't even know. Like, but then again, like no. you go out and trade for Juan Soto. He's not a free agent this year. I think next year, right? Oh, after this yeah. year. Oh, it is after this year. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, it's after next right, year. Right, no, but extension, it, I'm, I'm sure extension talks will be looming the whole time. So that'll be there. It's just like there's going to be too many storylines, too many egos. Like it just doesn't make sense. I, and like people are – they're going to – and as they should – they should be discussed about their entire year. I'm sure like this will probably be one of the few teams ESPN covers, even though they don't know Dick, because they just ranked Bryce Harper 58th preseason. So like they don't know shit. But like I'm sure like they're they're gonna create a lot of headlines for for people who like don't really follow sports because they have massive, massive names within the game. But like I I don't know, like I just can't see them. Fulfilling their potential, essentially. And if you think of what their potential should be, they should win 100 games, right? They should absolutely win 100 games. Yes, they should win. And back division. to what you said about you, Darvish, Dan. You, Darvish, keeps like kind of piecing together good years, and I don't understand it. He looked terrible in the ba- World Baseball Classic, too. That He just, I mean, he, he really spins the baseball well, but I just think his fastball is yeah. getting worse. And I think it, pitching in the big leagues as a starting pitcher and getting through the lineups you know, getting through a lineup two times at the big league level with only spin here is going to catch up to him because I think his fastball gets worse. And again, like, I don't think they have yeah. starting pitching. I mean, Blake Snell can put together – I mean, Ryan Weathers was intriguing a little bit when he came up. Obviously, Musgrove had a great year and signed the extension. If they can – if Brent Honeywell turns into the pitcher the race thought he was going to be, which was like seven years ago, maybe. But, like, I don't think that's happening. And, again, Nick Martinez, who they're going to slide into the rotation and – He's got two good. He's a he's a, a sinker changeup guy, and his every his, he has a, two average pitches. His cutter and curveball are average, and his fastball is below average. So like I I don't see how Nick Martinez gives them thirty good starts, but we'll see. 
All I'm going to say is if you told 2012 me that Jay Gr- Jason Groom, Brent Honeywell, <laughs> Blake Snell, and you, Darvish, were going to be on the same rotation, I'd be like, put my money on that it, team. It's also weird, too. They seem like they got that extension done with Darvish fairly quick, and they couldn't reach an extension with Snell. Which, which is weird. They gave Darvish yeah. way too many years and way too much. Snell's much. an I, odd dude. Listen, I Snell's hate Snell's an odd Snell. dude anyway. I hate Blake Snell. But, like, you got to look at, like, Hugh Darvish's at this point in his career and Blake Snell. Like, I would probably sign or extend Snell before I would Darvish, right? Granted, I do not – I don't know. Like, yeah, if I had to pick I either, personally, I wouldn't take either of them. I, I'm not, like, the biggest fan. Correct. Um, but it just – and, like, that might – like Snell's kind of a hothead, so like, is that gonna rub him the wrong way? Like, is he is he just gonna be a mope all year? So it's it's gonna be, it could be. that could it could be like a net situation um, where it could be like extremely diabolical, like very quick. Like we could be in May and be like, oh shit, like this is this is not good. Then you know Juan Soto's camp could start putting out rumors, right? It, it's it's going to be fascinating to watch and watch it unfold, which it would have been even better if they didn't reach an extension with Manny Machado. That would have been awesome. Which, right. which oh, also, like, there would have been. That, I'm so glad we signed Harper over, over, over Machado. Like, the fact that he put that player yeah. option in his deal and he wanted to make more money, like, I get it. And, like, right, there's no salary cap here, so it's not, like, it's not going to hinder the team the same way it would as, like, the NFL or an NBA like NFL, right? But come on, dude! Like, how big of an ego do you have to have to do that? I mean, he wants the money. I, I mean, he. Well, Juan, you look at he's a he's a he's a Boris guy. Uh, he yes, he is. I think he's a Boris. Yeah, right. So you look at that, and you look at the deals that other Boris client, clients are signing now, and that deal looked like a bargain four years later because of guys like Trey Turner and. Um, Aaron Judge, the contracts that they signed, and even Alexander Bogart. So I think that he wants to be paid at the top of the league, and and whereas Harper was happy with the money he got, um, which it does, it looks like a bargain now. Now, Trevor always points to what's that contract going to look like when Bryce Harper's in his forties, and what's that contract going to look like when Trey Turner's in his forties? I don't care. I don't know. How about that? I don't. I don't care. Right, and that's and that's the and the, the what the Phillies have done. Um, their, their stance, unlike the Braves, who the Braves have the best thing going probably, but what the Phillies' stance has been is we're going to give you a ton of years to lower your annual value so we can sign other good players. And if if you if you have a 40-year-old Trey Turner and he's not great, but you have enough money to sign other good players to piece around him, then you don't care about that contract, right? right. You really don't care. You're like, well, we're still good and we're still winning. Right, but but also there there is a massive risk factor. Like, I get it. The Braves are bringing up these – they're grooming their prospects. They're coming up early. They're producing their sign up early to, to really good deals. But they could, it could be a risk, too. Like, it could be a one-year hit for them. Like, Austin Riley could have easily fizzled out. Granted, Austin Riley is an absolute beast. He's a beast. But, like, oh, these yeah. guys could easily fizzle out and, like, not pan out. Like, honestly, the Tatis deal isn't that great. No, right now, Tatis deal looks awful. But what if what if the Braves sign Christian Pache and right. Michael Harris? Well, I think like, they're smart enough to not do correct. that. There's That's a reason the they traded him they after evaluate, one year. Right. They, they evaluate. They, they're they really good at evaluating their guys. I think that's part of it, too, is they know what they uh, have. Because they didn't Dave, sign Dansby. Yeah, and Dave, to your point, too, with the with the young guys, I just read um, Winning Fixes Everything by Evan Drellich, who wrote – it's about the Houston Astros and kind of where the cheating scandal rooted from. 
And actually, like in terms of like those deals when guys are young and buying out our beers for even for like the one that misses, the ones that hit, like it offsets value wise to the point where like those organizations that are kind of like forward thinking and more creative, like they are willing to bite the bullet on bad contracts at that value and that early because then you buy out a guy like Jose Altuve for two free agent years, three free agent years where he's performing at a, what in today's baseball is 30 plus million dollar value for 15, 17 million. So even when you have, you know, 14 million of dead money in a, you know, in the Astros case, uh, John Singleton, who just fizzled out completely, um, you're not worried about it because Jose Altuve is making that much excess in value. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, Trev. But Get nerdy with, with get nerdy. Very nerdy. Um, but yeah, I just, I just hate the Padres. Let's just, let's just put it that way. Like they could, and also I just love Bryce Harper. So like looking at those two deals and like, I'm so glad we have Bryce and not Manny. Oh, and I don't think you're wrong. I don't no, think you're, you're wrong, wrong at all. Man. I mean, I, I think that you would, I, I think. And you just look at what Harper's won an MVP. Harper was the best player throughout the postseason last year in in all of baseball. You've gotten the value out of Harper. You don't have to pay him any more money. He's locked in. He's, I mean, he's cleaned up all the things that people were worried about when he was in D.C. He's cleaned all of that up. So, Thank you guys for, uh, for joining today. We'll definitely have to do a check-in at some point in the year, probably around Midsummer Classic. So, uh, you know, appreciate you guys for hopping on. Lots of claps soon. Yeah, thank you for having us.
I lost a fight but I count my wins 